0: Today, we're actually going to explore one of my all-time favorite topics, one of the most impactful revelations of my life, one of the things that has brought me forward into the presence of God more than almost anything else, and it's the idea, the understanding, the truth, the scripture that God is with us. Now, I know to you that might sound really simplistic, or you might be saying, yeah, yeah, I know that. But today what we're going to do is actually explore what that means and how it affects our lives, because the truth of the matter is that a lot of times we don't feel that God is with us. I mean, we might know theologically that he is here. We might know in a place of understanding that God never leaves us, never forsakes us. But do we actually live from that place? I love following this guy named Bill Vanderbush. He's got incredible revelation and insight and wisdom about this kind of stuff. And he has been telling himself this sort of mantra for the last several years. And he just says, no distance, no separation. There's no distance, there's no separation. And he said, you know, it's fascinating because even after focusing on this for years, I find myself going an hour, a few hours, even sometimes maybe a whole day without really connecting with the abiding presence of God. It's just that easy to fall out of touch with where God is in our lives. He is with you, but have you ever felt like God wasn't? Have you ever felt like he was distant? What do you do when you feel like that? How do you go about your life? I think for a lot of us, when we begin to feel that God is distant, maybe we actually kind of distance ourselves from him. It might even be a subconscious response, but I know for me, if I'm being completely vulnerable with you, there are times where I'll go maybe several hours a day, maybe two days even, and never even have a thought about God in my mind sometimes. It's like if God is not initiating with me, sometimes it's hard to be the one to initiate with him. But if we're really in relationship, then it's a two-way street, not a one-way street, right? Let's think about it in the realm of if you're a parent. So when you're a parent, you've got these kids in your care. And what are you doing with them? Well, you are pursuing them. Right. You're providing opportunities for them. You are initiating moments with them. You're asking them about their day. You're making their favorite meal sometimes to make them feel loved. You know, sometimes you even go out of your way to make sure they know how special they are to you. But then there's other times where you kind of want to know what they think on their own. When not prompted, what are they going to do? or even in the realm of like your spouse, right? It's one thing to ask, do you love me? It's another thing to just be told spontaneously, this is what I think about you. It's one thing to sort of fish for a compliment or ask for feedback and and input. It's an entirely different thing when that person just comes to you and begins to offer their contentment, their praise, their excitement to be with you. I don't know that we can limit or relegate God into sort of the human nature cycle, but I think it's fair to say that God is looking for unsolicited worship and praise from us as well. I think this is why he doesn't make us worship him. He doesn't mandate on us. He doesn't control us because there's something about that unsolicited, pure response to God, unprompted worship that really moves his heart. But if we're going to be able to offer that to him, then there has to be moments when he's not prompting something. You know, I'm a sucker for the presence of God. I'm addicted. Like, I have no problem saying that. I just absolutely love when God is speaking to me, when he's downloading Revelation, when I can feel his presence, when we get to that point in worship where you just begin to like almost like lose control. I love that. I live for that. And in those moments, I cannot help but respond to God. You are my everything. I love you so much. You can have my whole life. I've already given you my whole life and whatever I might be holding back, I'm giving to you in this moment. But the truth is, that is a solicited response. That is me showering my affection on God because he first showered his affection on me. It doesn't make the words any less true. But if we flip the tables, wouldn't you, if you were God, wouldn't you want to have those moments where your people, your prize are giving their adoration to you, even when it feels like you're not doing anything for them? I think this is what the Bible talks about, sacrifice, sacrifice. The sacrifice of praise, or in I believe it's in Romans when it talks about present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, when you don't feel like it, but you do it anyway, that is another form of worship that is really moving to God because on the earth is the only time you and I are ever going to experience that. When we die and we go to heaven, when you said yes to Jesus and you are headed to heaven eternally. When you die, you will be in his presence constantly. His presence will be life to you, and the ability to sacrifice praise, I don't think, will be there. Now, I don't know for sure because I don't know a whole lot theologically about heaven, but I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that we have an opportunity to give God something in this life that it will be different in the next. So, what do we do when we feel like God is distant? Ephesians, I think it's like nine times in Ephesians chapter one talks about the oneness that we now have in Christ. That means God is in us and we are in him. John 15, you probably know this scripture about abiding in the vine, right? Jesus begins to give this word picture of what it looks like to be in him, and essentially he's talking about a plant that we are interwoven in his life where he is our life source. In other words, it's almost like he is the blood in our body kind of thinking that there is no way we could separate ourselves from Jesus once we are in him. These scriptures and others, right, that we're seated with God in heavenly places, we are with him where he is, that we are his body, he is in us, we are in him, and so on. All these scriptures tell us theologically, there is no distance and no separation from you and God at any point in your life once you've said yes to Jesus, and yet we still feel distant sometimes. So, one of the things we have to do is ask ourselves why? Why do we feel distant? Is it that God has distanced himself from us, or have we actually distanced ourselves from him? Or maybe both? We have to get honest about that. We have to take a good, hard look at it. It's interesting to me when I study the picture of the indwelling presence of God throughout the Bible. So this is like a bird's eye view. In the Old Testament, what we see is that the presence of God would come onto people. It was there. It was guiding them. I'm thinking in the Israelites, you know, as they're coming out of Egypt, they're having the, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. You know, there's the season where there's the manna on the ground. There's the Shekinah glory around the mountain. I mean, we could go on and on and on about different moments in the Old Testament where the presence of God was there and it was like something external. It was not inside of them, it was external. And what I believe God understood from the beginning was that mankind would not be able to live in unity with God with the external presence only. That mankind needs the internal presence of God to be a constant reminder of who he is so that we can live in unity with him. And so what he does is he sends Jesus to the cross to pay for the punishment of our sins so that the Holy Spirit and Jesus can live inside of us. And now we have this indwelling presence where there is no distance and no separation because it would be as if you were distant from your own heart but you and I both know there are times, days, weeks, months, years where we don't even really feel our own heartbeat. If we're alive, we know it's there. It has to be, right? It's it's fueling our life, but we're not always connected with each and every beat. Sometimes we just still feel distant. I remember a counselor saying to me at one point, the human being is not capable of maintaining a 100% connection in any capacity. So specifically speaking to emotional and vulnerability type connections, relational connections, the human being is just not capable of maintaining our love towards someone 100% of the time without fault. And so what we do is we ebb and flow in all of our relationships with our spouse, with our kids, with our brothers brothers. brothers and sisters, with our roommates, with our coworkers. We have times where we feel close to them and then times when we feel not close to them. And if we want that person to be in our life long-term, then we learn, even if we're not aware of this, we learn how to draw ourselves back to them so that we can continue to stay connected, knowing full well that it will ebb and flow again and again and again. The difference between humans and God is that God does not deal with that. He is not subject to that. So he is capable and he does maintain his connection with us 100% of the time. So since we know that the only thing we can cut, we have to come to terms with is the fact that we are the ones who are ebbing and flowing from his presence, not really God. I'll ask you again, is God distancing himself from us or are we distancing ourselves from him? There's this interesting scripture in Isaiah 59 verse 2. You may be familiar with it. It this is the amplified translation, Isaiah 59 verse 2, and it says, "But your wickedness has separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear." And this is a scripture that a lot of people use to highlight the fact that they believe that God, when we sin, God actually withholds himself from us. And that is essentially what this is saying in Isaiah. But if we're going to actually study the Bible correctly, we have to place every scripture on the timeline of where it fits in the old covenant and the new covenant. And clearly, Isaiah is speaking from the old covenant perspective. This was true then because there was no way to deal with our sin long term. But now that we are living in the after effects, the aftermath of the cross and the resurrection, God does not need to hide himself from us when we sin. It's not God that is distancing himself from us. It's us distancing ourselves from him. But here's the truth. If you've ever felt this way, if you've ever felt like God had abandoned you, if you've ever felt like God was distant, if he just didn't care, if he was indifferent, look, you are not alone. I'm reminded of the time when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. And even though he's been telling his disciples, the son of man is basically going to die in three days. You know, it'll be raised up. He's telling his disciples these clues. They're still in complete and utter despair that he actually physically died. That when they put him in the tomb, that that was the end And they're gathered together in this stunned, hopeless, mourning mentality, passing the time, trying to figure out where do we go from here? Wasn't this man the Son of God? Wasn't he our Messiah? Now what do we do because he left us? But he actually didn't leave them, did he? I mean, you and I both know how the story ends, so we don't know we will never really know the the grueling reality the disciples went through over those 72 hours of the uncertainty the utter shock when mary comes to them and says the tomb is empty peter's complete disbelief that th- that jesus has risen from the dead that he's now actually not dead anymore. What does this mean? Has he come back to life like Lazarus or has he achieved godlike status which was in him all along and, and 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 we will never fully connect with that feeling because we know the end of the story. But what's fascinating to me is even just a month later the disciples are back in the same spot Jesus has been appearing to them randomly you know he goes and finds Peter he's who's gone back to his job as a fisherman he gathers them up he spends 40 days in what I like to call ghost mode where he's just appearing to the disciples he's walking through walls he's giving his hands to Thomas to touch i mean it's a very weird 40 days where Jesus is ministering to his disciples and speaking mysteries to them And then he tells them when he ascends at the beginning of Acts, he tells them to wait, wait on my gift to you, wait on the Holy Spirit, just wait. And so they do. They go into the upper room and they wait. 24 hours later, they're still waiting. 48 hours, 36 hours, 72 hours. They're still waiting. There's no inkling of what's going to happen And again, you and I both know the end of the story, but the disciples didn't know why God was distant in that moment. All they knew was that they had to stand on what they knew to be true. There is now no distance, there's no separation. God is with me even when I can't see him or feel him. I can choose to connect with him. I can give him the sacrifice of my worship. I can give him the sacrifice of my praise. I can pray. I can contend. I can read the scripture. I can be with his presence even if it feels empty to me. And then boom, the sound comes shaking everything they knew to be true. They are wrecked with the power of the Holy Spirit and their lives are never the same. But let's not forget their lives were never the same 40 days prior seeing the risen Lord for the first time. Let's not forget their lives were never the same just a few years prior when they got to go out as the, when they were sent out by Jesus, you know, and this is the part where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning and 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 demons responded to the name of Jesus when they ministered to people and people were healed and set free. They were never the same. And and let's not forget even a a year or so before that, when they were never the same, when Jesus called them to be disciples. So what this says to me is that there's something about the in-between that is hugely important to our development as believers. There's something about the glory to glory, that word to, what rep- what's represented in that word too? that we're in one form of amazement and then we go to another form of amazement, but we go there through the blankness. I was talking to my husband recently, I've been reading the book of Acts a lot lately and I've just been struck more than anything with what's not there in the words, The distance between chapter four and chapter five, for example, the amount of life that was lived in between some of those verses. It's easy to look at the book of Acts and just think, wow, this was one unbelievable thing after the next. I mean, this must have been like a living revival. And it was, but there was a lot of mundane in there as well. There was a lot of perseverance. There was a lot of holding to the course, of doing the things we know are right to do, even when we don't feel like it, of standing on the feet of courage, even when we are terrified of our horribly oppressive government that they were living under at the time. From glory to glory, but that transition period is debilitating for a lot of us. Listen, there is no distance, there is no separation. So God is doing something in the blank space, just like he's doing something in the deluge of his presence, and you and I need to learn how to be at peace with that part of the process. One of my favorite songs, it's an older song, this guy, Bishop Joseph Garlington, wrote it and it says, Lord, whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. Lord, if you're healing, don't do it without me. Lord, if you're prophesying, Lord, if you're giving, if you're blessing, don't do it without me. In other words, God, I don't get to choose what you're doing in my life, but I want to be with you so that I get what you're doing, even when I don't understand. Whatever you're doing, Lord, don't do it without me. Don't let me be unaware of where you're moving in my life. Don't let me back myself up because I'm in the in-between and miss out on the next place you want to take me to. From glory to glory. There's something about waiting with God. There's something about being at peace with where he is in our lives that is really important for you and I. Maybe he's not speaking to you right now. Maybe he's actually healing something deep inside of you. Maybe he's not healing. Maybe he's moving around your life. So he needs you to hold tight because he's maneuvering things around you. Maybe he's not maneuvering. Maybe he's staying right where you are. In the Old Testament with the tabernacle, you know, they would pack up the church, basically. They would set it up. It took all these people to do it. I mean, it's kind of like a circus if you think about it. And they would set it up and then they'd wait. And then God would tell them time to move somewhere else. And they'd pack it up and they would move. But there was a period of time where they just stayed where they were. They were just present in that part of their life. So sometimes God is speaking, but sometimes he's healing. And other times he's waiting. Other times he's staying. Other times he's moving things on your behalf. You need to know that in the in-between, God is with you. In the in-between, when you don't perceive his nearness, it's still there. And you can learn to tap into that. You can learn to press into that. You can learn to give sacrifice in those moments. There's no distance. There's no separation. You and Jesus are one. Nothing can separate you from that. No height, no depth. No angel, no demon. In other words, there is nothing, no force, nothing more powerful, powerful enough to interrupt your connection with God. The only thing that can do that is you choosing to reject the Lord in your life. Nothing else can interrupt your ability to connect with him. He is with you. He is with you. With you. He is with you in this moment right now. He is with you in your car. He's with you in your dreams. He is with you in your marriage. He is with you at your desk. He is with you. And that should change you. That should shape you. That should cause you to go higher in Him. Oh God. Would we be ones who know your nearness, who understand how to abide in you, who chain ourselves to your tree of life, who refuse to be brought out of your presence no matter what it feels like? Lord, whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. Don't do it without me, God. If you're waiting, if you're pausing, if you're just staying, if you're being silent because you're doing something else, don't do it without me. Help us, God. Amen.